Okay, welcome to the OneOuter.com podcast. This is Ask Alex, episode 206. We have not been with you for a while. This is the first one that we've done since I came back from Vegas and also Alex. So we're going to just talk a little bit about our Vegas trips and then get to some questions that some of you patient people have emailed in. And we hopefully some of the ones at the bottom of the mailbag are still alive um, to receive the answer. <laughs> this has been a while. Uh, although I should just on that note, uh, a guy did email me. I think I copied his question and put it in the list, but it'll be way down somewhere. But I don't know if you recall, Alex, on a previous episode, a few episodes back, we talked about the guy tackling the Asian fields and the email was, you know, I, I was maybe 10 months old or something like that by the time we got around to that question. And we were like, hopefully, you know, you're still you know, in Asia or this is relevant. He actually got back in touch and he's been doing well in Asia. He got the, he got the episode, he listened to it. And he's on his way. I think it was Vietnam or Cambodia. He's something just now. And then he's going to be making himself to the, making his way to WSOP Europe. So, uh, yeah, it was good. It was quite funny that the guy actually did still hear the question and stuff. So that was good. So, Alex, it's great to have you with us. Great to speak again. And we'll just take it from there. Um, We'll go... We'll go. You go first about your Vegas trip and what's what's been happening with you in life, and then I'll tell you what I can remember of mine. So I was just saying to Alex before it. Uh, this is July twenty fourth. I got back. I think something like the tenth or eleventh. Yeah, the eleventh or twelfth of June, and it seems like a lifetime ago. It was like six weeks ago, five six weeks ago, and it seems it seems like as long ago as the previous year's trip. It's weird, you know how that works out. But uh, <laughs> Alex, take it away. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I'm doing really good, really happy. Um, loved Vegas, had a lot of fun. It's it's really strange though. I'm at the age, you know, when you're young, and I I, I don't think I did. You know, when you see like a 19 year old like going to the gym, right? And you kind of go, well, good for them. Right. That's how they get motivated. That's just not me anymore. Or sometimes I actually like it when a, a, a friend of mine's trying to lose weight and he wants to be held accountable. So he posts every time he makes it to the gym and his Facebook seems to be mostly like really close friends. So he likes that we're all holding us accountable, it, holding him accountable. But it's so weird to me when you can't play a poker session without tweeting about it anymore, right? There's a lot of people that go, do you still play poker? And I, I, I always want to go, contrary to popular belief, it is allowed to play poker without tweeting about it. And uh, yeah, so I, I went and played in Vegas and it was really funny to have people coming up to me like, do you still play poker? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I just, the sites I like, I tend to not like to post and, uh, the money I'm making is between myself and the IRS. And yeah, a- anyway, it, it was it was funny to have that in Las Vegas, right? Like people like you still exist. And it did you notice, I saw you tweet something about it, but like poker Twitter is very different now, Barry. Did you say something about that? I, I just tweeted, I played the, 
I can't even remember what it was called. The big, the big fifty, the fiftieth anniversary thing. Five hundred buy-in, million guaranteed for first twenty odd, whatever thousands ridiculous field it was. Um, I played that, and I put, I think it was in Twitter on Twitter or the Facebook page, just like a picture saying, "Playing this today. The next update will be when I bust or leave day or make day two or whatever." Yeah. Because. I just can't, you know, people message me, oh, keep me updated. They don't even, you know, I, I don't sell pieces or anything of myself. Anymore. I just play, you know, and it's like, I can't be bothered. I'm one, too lazy, two, unless something fantastically rare or funny that I think's funny happens at the poker table, then I'll maybe share that. But yeah, it's too much. I get it, people that have maybe sold pieces of themselves, like Alex, you know, I bought a piece of Alex and those emails you were sending were great. That's like, you know, at least I fucking got something for my money. Um, was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was uh, to look for, you know, Alex made these little like reports to people that had bought pieces of them and sent them emails. And they were really end of the day, like thoughts collection. They were they were worth reading. Stuff that's like, you know, oh, I'm here. I've just ordered food from All American Dave or... I'm having to drink. Ah, oh, I unfollowed a lot of people. I mean, I unfollow people on Twitter now. And, and you know, if anyone's listening, I used to, don't take it personally. It's like, it's just too much. I just don't, it's not even a, you know, into poker as much or not into poker as much. All I see is controversy. The outrage culture is filtered into poker. Poker used to be a play you could play with. You could play a pot with, you know, a genocidal dictator back in the day or whatever, and would people really get, you know, you're playing poker. Now it's like this one's stealing off of them, this one's done this, they're selling this markup. Every pernickety little thing, the structure in this tournament, it's moaning. As I I, I put something like moaning about uh, ruling uh, sort of tournament rules, is the new Beats headphones or something. And I think last year I put something like, I can't remember what the one was last year. It was like talking about food or sushi is the new Beats headphones. There seems to be something every world series that a few of the pros start doing or the like the high profile guys on social media, Daniel Negrano, etc. It filters down into like shitty versions of like people that are doing their version, you know, so... Daniel Negrano is famous for living in his big thing outside the back of the Rio, you know, so someone else will be like, try and do a thing, a version of that. And, stuff. and it's just, I just find it just boring, actually, not even annoying or draining. It's just boring to me. Um, all the stuff. And I noticed that when I was playing, like some of the guys that sat down, I was just laughing at myself, actually. And actually even just laughed, I must have just looked like, you know, Alex back in there, just a big goofy smile on my face for no reason. It was just, I was looking at people going, your life must be so treacherous. I know I said Alex talk about Vegas first, but to give you an example, in that tournament I played, this guy sat down. Now, he had this water and it was called something like, I don't know, one of these waters with added bullshit electrolyte stuff or whatever it is. And it was called, it wasn't smart water, it was like called plus edge water or get the edge water or some, it was, you might know Alex, it's like a black and red writing. I'm not sure what it was, right? Uh, yeah, you can sell anything in America. I'm not sure of the name, but I know what you're talking about. 
Now, this guy was fat, like fat, 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 right? He sat down with this huge thing of water. He had on this ridiculous pair of sunglasses. Gold, no way was it solid gold. It was like Mr. T. You know, it was all plated crap. Some really cheap watch that, you know, just horrid. And the guy sits down and he was a complete asshole to everyone at the table. And I was like, he was all chirping away. And then when he lost pots, he took it so personally. And in my head, I was like, that guy hates himself, like really hates himself, you know? And he must have like severe self-esteem issues or something. To sit down at a poker player, uh, a poker table, you know, $500 buy-in, buy-in, sit with your fancy water, the waiter's coming all the time for waters, and he was just bitching about everything. Everything. You know, and I was like, one, entitled, and two, just like so miserable towards the dealer, towards other people that were playing. He played a hand with me. I had kings, and uh, I raised, he three-bet me. I four-bet him, and he flatted uh, in position, and it came six, seven, ten. And uh, I checked, he bet, I re-raised them all in. He called with six, seven, like he was a genius, two pair. I looked, <laughs> like, gave me this stare, like, you know, you see what I did there? I flopped two pair. Like, you know, that was like his stare. It was like, yeah, good, you know? And anyway, I had them well covered, so that was it. And then, like, ten hands later, I raised, he three-bet jams all in for, like, 23 big blinds. And I've got kings, and he had king jack. And I held. And I said, like, I'd never do it, but I, sh- I showed him bluffs and stuff. I had fun at the table with him, you know, just messing with him. I was like, I'm just going to, like, my whole purpose in this day, in this tournament, is to just fuck with this guy. That's it. why I ended up <laughs> sort of, like, amusing myself. And, um, you know, I, ra- I, was, I raised six, seven suited, and he flattened me on the small, in the small blind. I was in the cutoff. And the big blind folded, and we were like uh, heads up, and it came queen queen six. So I've got bottom pair. I check, he bet, I flatted. The turn was an eight. I checked again, he bet again, and I just shoved all in for like thirty five big blinds, and he tanked for like ages, 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 and he was like that. Oh, two eights. You turned to you know you turned turned the set, turned the set. You don't have a queen. You don't have a queen. Oh, uh, queen. You've got queen. You know, quads. Like, it was ridiculous. There was no reasoning or logic. He was just listing every hand. Eventually, he folds. And uh, I turned over the seven. And I never show a card, really, or show well a card. Done. Like, well done. Oh, you're right. I didn't. And, he's like, and straight away, he's like, fucking queen seven? Queen seven? I was like, no, no, no. And just... Just that was him ruined. He, he was just, and it was just interesting. Like we're not playing so much live anymore and stuff. Just to see these people. I mean, in a small sample size, I played cash at the Golden Nugget. I played cash at Bellagio, Venetian. At least once a night, you would meet someone similar to that. Maybe different extremities. They sit down. They're in a mood. There's chips getting like something. They're fucking. It's like they don't care. They're there to just self destruct. Uh, they're talking to people like shit. They're, they they think they're god because they're giving waitresses a dollar for a drink tip. You know they think that can they can command their attention at every. It was just like wow, and just 
I see it more and more. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it's just a poker community thing. I think it's a real... It's going back to these people like Gary Vee and that that say people are moaning about the barista got their milk wrong in the coffee these days and stuff, you know? But And, and I don't want to be like a hypocrite here, like I'm moaning about these guys at a poker table. It's merely an observation. You know, you're just looking going, why are you playing? Why are you putting yourself through this, you know? And some of these guys are flying out there and spending thousands of dollars, maybe not even all their own money, maybe they're backed and stuff. They're feeling like shit, they're preparing like shit, and they're turning up basically just lighting their money on fire. There's no way that guy was going to win that tournament, you know, unless the deck hit him in the face every day and every level. It just, he was dead money sort of thing. And you're like, the guy's so deluded that he's there to like, you know, win and he should win, he's entitled. And it was, it's just another reminder when you see that. It's really, really strange behavior you see amongst like so-called adults, you know, playing a card game. Barry, I wrote down, uh, I, I wrote down for my notes for the episode because I'm like you, I prep for these episodes. Get Barry on a rant about <laughs> Vegas. You could not have done better than that i was i had to mute the microphone i was laughing so hard and i didn't want to interrupt you but okay good you articulated that in a fashion that i was not able to do so and it's far more interesting coming from you because obviously you're not an american and maybe you have a fresher perspective on this but yeah my thing when i play cards is I really love my job because mostly what I focus on is lower to mid stakes players. Now they're the people who have the most fun with poker. Uh, they're also the people I can help the most because just teaching solid fundamentals and some of my playbook will get you winning in those games pretty fast. So everybody's really grateful. I love my business. I really love my job, but just like a head coaching position in any sport, it's a pretty hectic schedule, teaching people every day, creating courses, creating new playbooks, putting it out. Uh, when I play poker, that's my vacation. That is my relaxation. And you're right, when you see people doing those very strange egotistical things like that person who is at your table or... I guess Twitter is the new extension of it. There's a lot of uh, whining. You realize they're not making this responsible gambling. Responsible gambling is you gamble with money you can afford to lose. And you're supposed to be buying an experience when you enter into a poker tournament. You're not supposed to be expecting to make money if you're a casual fan or if you don't play a plethora of these every year. So I'm with you in that they have Poker News has a really neat app called MyStack. And what I would do is you don't have to, if you go on Twitter when you post the updates, you have to say like the blind is this big. You, people always put their notes like, you know, uh, feeling good at my table playing while well, nobody's ever posted. I, no one's ever posted. I feel like crap playing really bad. Uh, yeah. But no one's ever posted that ever, by the way. But uh, 
It, with my stack, you just post the stack and they tell people what the blinds are and everything. And it's really neat because it shows your trajectory. I was just updating that for people who bought pieces of me. And then I wrote emails to you guys every night to let you know how the table was, how things were going. I thought that was fine. And it's, yeah, it's, it's strange to me, this being a poker player, you, I think you discussed this. It used to be somewhat of a rogue culture where it was come as you are. You were talking about genocidal dictators. When my friends and I played in the Philippines, we quite literally played with military generals that ordered people killed. That yeah. was there. I, I didn't personally do it, but my buddies did. That was there. That element was always there. And it is strange to see people belittling the game by making it part of this outrage culture weirdness. But it, whereas as far as my Vegas report, I had a blast because I didn't want to expose myself to that. I was just so into the game. I was so happy to be playing. I was so much, I, I was enjoying it so much it's also it's really fun playing poker for me now because in every spot I can go, oh, I know this one. <laughs> I remember this from my lessons and I looked it up and I watched 30, 35, 100 players play this spot a million times. And when they did this, they lost money. When they did this, they made some money. But when they did this, they made more money. So I'll do this. And that's a very gratifying feeling, the feeling of if not mastery, just competence, feeling as if you're much more prepared for something than other people are. And that's a terrific feeling. And it was really pronounced on the first day of the main event. Uh, I had a terrific uh, professional player two to my left uh, who was just not giving me any leeway. And I just thought back in my mind, okay, when I saw players play against a very good player two to their left, what strategies and what ranges worked really well in the analytics. And I played that strategy and I ended up almost tripling my stack on day one. Now I did run very well. I'm not going to act like I didn't, but I also, I blocked out that guy from a lot of pots by three betting consistently. I blocked out, people post-flop from being able to do a number of things. And that was a very gratifying feeling that I loved. And uh, day, day two, I, I didn't, uh, well, I, I just didn't get dealt anything. And then I, I dribbled my chips away a little. And then on uh, day three, uh, made the nut straight versus another guy who's a very talented player and could be bluffing at any time. Uh, he, he made a full house. So that was that. Was that. But I had a lot of fun in Vegas. The best way to experience Vegas is bone sober, too. That's my real belief. I, If you want to drink out there, I think that's your right. I think that's fine. But it was incredible how much clearer-headed I felt just guzzling water, eating really good food, just... I ate lean protein and veggies the entire tournament and how clear headed you are during that or just the entire time I was in Vegas. And then 
I also made myself get up every morning and lift weights and I felt really good and I felt really in charge when I played poker and that was a gratifying feeling. And uh, I used all that great feeling to not make you any money, Barry, so I hope you're appreciative. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I'll let you live, Alex. But no, I, you know, Vegas is what it is. It's a lot of fun. You get to, uh, there's so much going on in that city. It's great. I, I had a lot of fun out there. Uh, oh, I got to go to UFC too. That was excellent. Uh, my new bestest friend had a free ticket they could give me, so that was great. But yeah, did you have fun in Vegas? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Plenty, plenty eating, plenty enjoying the food, plenty gambling. Uh, poker wise, I only played that one tournament. The rest was just cash games. I just couldn't be bothered with like you know the lines. Last time I went, I played a lot of the dailies at the Rio, but the the lines and stuff, and a lot of them were cancelled when I was there for that big tournament. They cancelled them Perfect. each day. What's that? No, uh, I read, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. on my screen it said microphone muted. I, I always try to mute it when you're talking, just in case I start cackling or something. But, uh, uh, yeah, I read your tweets the entire summer about how long the lines were. So for the main events... I woke up right when the bank was open and I went over to the Rio at like 9 30 10 and there was literally no one in the line poker players just can't be bothered to wake up early it, but it was really bad earlier in the summer well for that big 50 that was there was I think there was 24 or 26 thousand was the final runners and that something like Here. that I think it was as high as that I don't think I'm pulling that from there Anyway, the night I was I was going back and forward, I kept checking on Twitter and it was like, Kev Math was like, the line's four hours, three and a half hours. It's going to be about, you know. And I, I went and met up with Carlos at the tournament Poker Edge meetup in some little bar off the strip near the Rio. I got an Uber there and met up with them for a little while. And after that, I said, right, I'm going to leave and see if I can go and register for this tournament. And uh, Carlos like, oh, good luck, you know. So I got in an Uber. Turns out the guy was Scottish. He'd been living in the States for 25 years. <laughs> and he still had his Glaswegian accent. Wow. So we got to the Rio. I got off. And I'd already read on a previous day, like, in the rooms, in the side rooms, like the Amazon room or whatever, or Brasilia or whatever it is, um, there's ticket desks in there that you can register for like some, you know, you usually register for the dailies in there and stuff. And the line for the big 50 was like two and a half, three hours. It was right down the hallway past all the book vendors, etc. And it even snaked in left, you know, off the little site, the halls that go off the side as well. And I was like, well, there's no way I'm, I'm curing that. I, I just don't care. I'll go and play a win tournament or something instead. And I just chanced that I walked into the side room where all the tables are and the, the windows there. And there was a line that was maybe like five minutes long. And I I just walked up and said to the, one of the security guys that was doing it, I says, can you register for the big 50 here? And he goes, yeah. And I goes, all right. So I stood in it five minutes, bang, registered for it. And that just shows you like <laughs> poker players not paying attention as well. Because Kev Math had actually tweeted that out, that you could do that. So I lasted, 
11 levels, I think, in it. You know, it was near the end of uh, day one, and I busted. Uh, I should tell my bad beat story. It was at top pair in the nut flush throw. Ace jack of spades on jack high two spades. Got it all in against queens and missed. Um, and <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> Standard. <laughs> um, and, you know, but I felt like I was free rolling actually after only queuing five minutes to get into it. You know, compared to three hours or whatever. But it was funny. I met like a few characters in the Bellagio when I was staying there. I played with a guy and he was like this old rocker, you know, in his 50s. But, you know, this I can't remember what T-shirt it was. Some like band T-shirt and a bit, you know, a bit of a earrings and stuff. You know, like a really shitty, you know, uh, member of the Rolling Stones tribute band or something like that. And um, I was sitting playing with him, and he was just annoyed. People were annoying me. <laughs> he was just like, irritating, and he was, he, the stuff that was coming out of his mouth—it was ridiculous. What was it? I, I can't remember now, but it was—it was stuff as bad as like, yeah, that's why you should never play the small small blinds. You know, uh, you should never play the small blind because you're seventy-two percent unlikely to be dealt a hand. You know, it was just. And then he, he would say a big nonsensical sentence and then attack, like, attach an arbitrary percentage. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't do that to a re-raise there. Yeah, it's like eight, you're only 86% to hit your hand. It was basically sounding like you, but he didn't know what he, talk, he was talking about. You know? And I was like, fucking hell, this guy. And then I was sitting right next to him, and then he says to me, um, yeah, I, I sort of do the more, I sort of play the more Negranu style. And just to mess with him, I went, so the what and he went I like Daniel Negrano I sort of like, like play a bit like I sort of like adopt his style Daniel Negrano and I just went who I, I, I've never heard of him mate sorry and he's like you've never heard of Daniel Negrano I was like no no sorry so I messed with him and then at the same table there was this older Asian woman I think she was Thai and, you know, she's the late 50s again. She was playing. She had, like, a face like thunder. Anytime she lost the pot, if she she made a big bet, I folded her and she'd give you, like, this death stare. And, you know, she was just, you know, not there to have fun. Or maybe she'd lost or whatever. Anyway, we're playing a pot. And I call her on the river with top pair. And she had two pair. And I said, you know, nice hand. And I was going to muck my hand. And she says, I want to see. I was like all right and she went do you have to show you and the, the guy's like you don't have to show or something like that you're mucking you know you can and she was like no i call i want to see this now i was like look i don't have a problem showing you know there i turned my hand over i said top pair and she went oh okay and then she went i just want to see i don't mean it. i just want to know how you play i just want to know how you play and i says all right and then just again i was fucking irritated you know so i went what did I do on the flop? Did I bet? Or and she goes, I can't remember. That's what she said. And then I says, well, if you want to know how I play, should you not be paying attention to that rather than like what two cards I've got? It was so perfect, Alex. It was just, and people were like, and then some guy went, God, people are really salty on this table. I was like, I'm not salty. I'm just saying she said, she wants to see my cards to see how I play, but she doesn't know what I did on the flop. It was two seconds ago, you know? And she's like, oh, I just, I don't mean offense. And I was like, you know? And then after that, I just picked, you know, I, I wasn't long. I just left. I couldn't be bothered with it. But it was, that was quite funny. I found that really amusing. 
And uh, what else? One last highlight. I bumped into Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager. I'd watched the Champions League final when I was there. And then five days later, I was in the Venetian walking through the on the bottom floor to like find, you know, where all the restaurants are off the casino floor, like the sort of bet that goes into retail shops and that as well. Not the grand shops, the canal shops, the bet on the bottom floor. And I just see him walking to it. I was like, that's Jurgen Klopp. He was with his wife, and I never really approached. I was like, I'm not going. The guy's with his wife. And he walked past me, and I was like, not many people in America. You know, they're not. Obviously, Brits in that spot, and then Americans that are into football will, will know him as well. But I'm like, I've got to get a picture. You know? So I just spoke to him. I said, do you mind? He said, oh, of course. Like, really nice guy. And it was the day Scotland had won their qualifier, and Andy Robertson, who plays for Liverpool, had scored. So we were talking about that for a bit. Got a quick photo with him, and he was on his way. But that that was cool. He he was a nice guy. Really, I like him as a coach as well. So um, yeah, that was it. But good fun. But I've I've said on the record to you know family and Joe and stuff like um don't think I'll go back next year. I think I'll just leave it a year. But I'm saying that now. We'll see next year how I feel. But um, I mean, part of I wanted when I was hearing your stories of like everybody like talking, being very irritating at the table. That's every day when you play poker in America, man. I got to tell you, that's just how it always is. It's uh, at my first WSOP table, uh, somebody told me, you know, you're S at blah 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 you're you're not good at poker i i'd never met this guy in my life right and they're just going to talk to you that way to see if they can get a rise out of you that's just card playing in the states it's uh it's i know it's very irritating though right in in the united kingdom is it more gentlemanly or is there just as much bs i think it's more gentlemanly i think there's less of that it's more good good witted and humored banter rather than just, like, sports locker, like, over-the-top male bravado, uh-huh. actually not backed up by anything, you know? And I also think it's a bit, like, I don't care enough anymore for someone to, you know, like, I, I say I was irritated. I was more irritated at myself by, like, actually putting myself through that. You know, I wasn't, it wasn't affecting my game. I wasn't tilting or anything like that. It was just like, do I really need to sit here and let's even look at this? I, to breathe the same air as these people, sort of thing. <laughs> I, I felt a bit like that. Right? It wasn't like, oh, right, I'm on tilt, I'm, you know, this, that, whatever. It was more like, there's better things in life that I could be doing just now than sitting here listening to this or looking at that face, you know? <laughs> that, was, that was it, really. I just love... I don't know. Maybe this is part of getting older. I just love the filth and the crap and how dirty American poker is. Like I just, I love going to these places. And yeah, the characters are so ridiculous. Like that Asian woman you discussed, I've played with no less than 2,000 women like that. And then I just thought you were on her level when she was like, I want to see your hand. And you kind of gave it back to her. I was thinking, oh, this is fun. It's like a pickup basketball game. There's going to be trash talk, right? And I don't think you took it too far. And even 
when that guy was giving me crap about my game, I didn't think he was taking it too far. He was trying to get a rise out of me. And then later on, you know, we were more buddy-buddy. But to me, it is very pleasant when I do go play in Europe because people – I've been lucky enough to play in a few casinos that are more gentlemanly and more fun. But the other problem is the people play better when they tend to have that attitude, right? If – you want to play with people who are wearing gold chains that are leaving green on their neck like you were playing with. Uh, you're going to have to deal with some of the filth, uh, as we were discussing. But that was uh, the really funny thing in Vegas. I forgot to give people a shout out on this, uh, so I have to work this in. It was so weird playing and everybody's just going after each other verbally as much. When I did my book signing, I was amazed how positive and sweet people were. That was such a complete 180. I did one book signing with uh, D&B when my first book came out, and I had like two people come up to me in half an hour, and I'm pretty sure one of them had no idea who I was. But this this one this year, it was just a complete hour full of you guys coming up, like one after another, to thank me for the new book. So. I really appreciate that. It was very humbling being able to sign autographs and things of that nature. So just want to send a shout out to all of you who came out and said hi and uh, were very complimentary of the book. That really made my day. I appreciate that. Uh, should we answer some poker questions, Barry? Yeah, let's get into the questions. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. Um, okay, this one, and it's quite fitting. I've put this one at the top of the pile because it was received just the other day and it was about the world series of poker so for those interested um this one is from brad hi alex and barry i was watching the last few wsop main event broadcasts and i was struck how much flack and criticism they gave that amateur player kevin maz for tanking when it was his time to act i think the commentators were too harsh on the guy and it reminded me of something you say alex a lot in your webinars if you are playing in a way to please and gain acceptance from your peers in the poker room, then you're seeking the approval of losers. I didn't see any hands where Maz took any more time than the pros at the table. I think he is a victim of a double standard. When the other players at the table took 30 to 45 seconds before a fold, the commentators never said a word. If he was a pro like Dario or the fan favourite Gates, the commentators would have probably said, oh, I love how he takes his time to analyse the situation and see what his options are, etc. Maz wasn't being like that obnoxious William Kasuf, who I thought was really stalling and tanking with his table talk. I liked how Maz was playing, and it was making much more difficult for the other players to get a read on him. Maybe you and Barry disagree, but I wanted to share my thoughts. Thank you. Well, Brad, I, thank you for your question. I, I also think you sound like you have a very nuanced and fair view of this, which is you didn't like Kasuf, who was clearly angling a little bit uh, with how he did things. And, uh, well, maybe not an unfair angle. It was within the rules, but it, it certainly stretches what one wants to experience when watching poker or playing poker. Uh I do believe there's a double standard, and it does drive me nuts. Uh, well, something I, I also was lucky enough, uh, when I first started playing poker, there was a gentleman I played with in a number of tournaments who, 
he would take a lot of time on decisions and it would piss me off consistently because I, I was playing thousands of hands a day. I usually knew what the answer was. Then it dawned on me one day, this guy, he usually made the right decision and he had played one one thousandth the hands I had played in my life. He was new to the game. He wasn't sure what he was supposed to do. So he was thinking 30, 40 seconds to do it. And fast forward to, uh, I, I was playing in Prague. And when we made that World Poker Tour final table, there was a Czech player who had only ever played live. He had not played online. And everybody else at the table was an online pro. So, yeah, not a great final table. But uh, this guy would need 20, 30 seconds for a decision because let's say a guy opened the low jack and he was on the cutoff and he had something like six, three of diamonds. Well, I can tell you from looking at databases my whole life, that's not a three bet you should do generally unless you have something serious on the guy. For a lot of the GTO guys, that's not even near their three betting range. But for this guy, he's just looking at the guy and trying to figure out, do I think he's weaker on the open right now? Can I rule out some of these bigger hands? So while we're automatically making decisions, he's letting the hand breathe a little bit. And most of the time he would end up folding because he was a good player and most good players are actually pretty careful when they attack. And everybody started complaining about this guy and they started yelling at him and they said, I know what you're trying to do. I'm sick of it. And I was looking at this kid's face and he looked genuinely really confused. And I, I was thinking, oh, this isn't an act. This isn't uh, you brought up a player where you thought it was an act. I, I didn't think this was an act. I thought he genuinely needed the time. And then we got talking later that player and I, and I said, man, if you got to take your time, like, don't, you know, take your time. I, I didn't say anything beyond that. I, I, I just said, it, it's one of those things that I don't, I guess as a pro, I could have pressured him a little bit more, but I thought that could come back on me. Uh, and he could start three betting us a lot more and he could start firing more. Whereas at the final table, he was a bit of a wild man prior to that final table. And he was playing fairly tight, which was good for me at that table. So I didn't know why everybody was rocking the boat. I was just like, okay, let him take his 20, 25 seconds, and then we'll go. I do believe there's a, I do believe there's a little bit of the first word that came to my mind, I'm not sure if it's the right word, but elitism in poker, which most pros, myself as well, were guilty of at some point in time because you want to feel as if it is a very human desire to want to feel as if you are more competent in a subject compared to other people. And whenever somebody plays sports, they want to do better than other people. They want to show out. They want to be able to be the man. And I think many people in poker, and I, I've been guilty of myself of, of this as well when I was younger, 
you reach for that when you're starting in ways you shouldn't. And it's much better to be humble. And if we want this game to grow, when there is an amateur and he's confused regularly at the table, it's on us to go get, give him the time. Okay, like let him go. It doesn't look like it's an angle. And it's on us to recognize that, all of us. And I do think we need to be better about that. And I'm really happy that you brought that up because that is something I used to get very irritated by that. And it wasn't for many years I figured out, oh, wait, other people don't play poker as much as me. I'm being a bit of a snob right now. I have to be a little bit more understanding when someone's in a very stressful big money situation for the first time and they want to take time with their decisions thank you for your question brad yeah i think it's again it goes back to that outrage thing of people just want <laughs> yeah right to jump on a bandwagon of like oh this guy i mean i saw some of the coverage i didn't really see that maz guy and uh, it just seems, you know, like, oh, that's the bandwagon. Jump on that this this year. You know, like, let's let's go for that. And I think, yeah, you know, sort of being touched on. But if you're playing for that amount of money, nobody knows what that means to that person and how anyone's going to react with the likes and stuff around it. I think unless somebody's being ridiculously obnoxious or offensive to people at the table or causing a real scene i think they've paid ten thousand dollars they've made it to that point of the tournament they should have as long as they want for any decision that they want all you just don't want to see is when they've got like seven four and it's you know under the gun and they maybe take you know 40 seconds or something to tank something if it starts getting ridiculous like that, you know, then that's that's a different situation, I think. Um, okay, let's go to the next question. This one is from Herb Vasquez. And say we are in the big blind with sevens and button jams for 10 big blinds. If they are doing this with 25% of their hands here, then we have just over 50% equity and clearly have the odds to call. A hand like ace-queen off, however, has better equity in this situation, even though 7-7 seven, seven is a superior hand. My question is, when should we be calling an all-in with these middle pocket pairs, and when it's highly likely that we will be flipping? If it's a simple math problem, and the answer is always, what other factors should I be considering when calling here? Stack size, stage of tournament, etc.? P.S. I have master tournament poker in one class and can't recall this topic being covered, although it's probably worth another run through. Well, what you're discussing is, uh, thank you, Mr. Vasquez, for your uh, your question. What you're discussing is an age-old debate in tournament poker. The new school online guys would tell you, hey, if you can run it in ICMizer and it comes out to be profitable, and with ICMizer, you can also put in the payouts and things of that nature, and that'll let you know if within the context of the tournament you're supposed to call as well, in addition to Chip EV, 
many of the new school guys will say, if it says run it, run it. Many of the old school guys do not believe that to be so. And both have had considerable success. Uh, I think we would be foolish to not pay attention to Phil Hellmuth, for example, who seems to always be looking at the context of the tournament. So someone shoves for 10 big blinds. Well, where will we be if we call there and we lose versus if we call and we win? Let's say we have 25 big blinds. Well, if we call and we lose, we have 15. What tool did we just lose? Well, the raise fold is going to be much more difficult to do. Perhaps you could have squeezed a three bet out of that 25x stack that wouldn't have committed you. Those are gone now. Many times, a player such as Pisagno or Phil Hellmuth, both who have made great amounts of money from poker, they would sit there with the sixes and they'd say no. And they'd sit there with sevens and they'd say no. Whereas the new school would just not do that. Now, I tend to, years ago, I sided more with the old school rationale, which was you want to favor your dominating aces. Because should you have ace-queen there, and the person is shoving their ace-2, ace-3, ace-4, ace-5, ace-6, you know, all those 16 combos times every ace you can think of, uh, you have... 70, 75% edge on all those hands. That is a delicious spot to be in, in no limit holding. Whereas, obviously, with sevens, and when the guy shoves sixes, fives, fours, threes, twos, you're in a great spot, but there's only six combos of each of those hands. So, yes, on average, you're not in a terrific spot. I used to side more with the old school guys because back in the day, you could get away with more raised folds you could get away with more, you would shove and uh, people didn't know what to call you with. So they would fold a little too much. I think now that people have gotten better at, I I've noticed people have become, almost by accident, they've become very good at uh, playing short stacks. Whereas in the old days, nobody would call, call from the big blind, even getting a great price. Now they do call and they pretty much just play when they hit a pair, which actually isn't that bad if the person is raising wide. So for that reason, if you have a slight edge, I think these days you should usually take it. But say you're playing live. This happened to a friend of mine who was playing a WCP qualifier out in Nevada in a smaller city. And he noticed everybody was folding to his 2.5x raises. Just everybody. They were all terrified of being the bubble boy for a WSOP package. That 2.5x has a lot of weight. Well, now you have 25x and somebody shoves 10x. you got to really think in this situation. And maybe find a pass at that time. Now... It's worth noting that these adjustments are very minute. So maybe you fold sevens there, you're almost assuredly not folding eights. Uh, and by the way, that was a winner-take-all satellite. So uh, that there wasn't a level payout structure. I, I forgot to mention that, sorry. So 
you're generally looking within the context of the tournament. I think on average, when you consider the context of the tournament, people are better at gambling versus your short stack ploys these days. So it's not really worth it protecting the 25x as much as it used to be. So I'd run it more often. And if you're at 40x, if you go to 30x, you have most of the tools you already had before. And if you go to 50x, it is helpful. So I think you're fine gambling there as well. And if you're at 15x per se, you need to gamble most likely as well. So you should run it. So it's going to be very hard to justify avoiding coin flip situations when you're getting a little extra on your money as if you're calling an all-in from the big blind. So I wouldn't go looking for them, but I hope I provided you the context for the very few rare situations where that might not be the case. Okay. And let's do one last question um, since we have been away for about two months. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This one is from Carrie. Also wondering if you have... So I've copied question that's why it's he, he did say something previous to also wondering he didn't just email me this also wondering he's but if you have the time can you send us all an email or make this a question on one of your future podcasts well we've decided to do the latter what are your thoughts on button limping when it folds all the way around to you with certain hands jonathan i'm assuming jonathan little talked about this in his recent webinar i've also seen a couple of my very well accomplished poker friends do this play with great success. I have rarely done it myself, but I'm starting to think it's a good move to have in my arsenal, especially as a perceived old man net. And I'd like to just add there, I remember when I used to play live locally in the casinos here, there was an old guy, uh, older guy, Jimmy Wong. Let's give him a mention on the podcast. Uh, He's a legend. He's been playing poker since way back, you know, the 80s and stuff. He played with Devilfish. He used to drive down to Birmingham and that from yeah, Scotland and play in all these sort of private games and tournaments and before Hold'em, really, before late-night poker days even and stuff. And wow. He always used to limp on the button when I played cash tournaments. It folded down. He would always limp on the button. So, Alex, take it away. Mike Wasserman is a really big proponent of limping on the button in certain situations. And when we were doing how to win the Sunday million, he walked me through a few hands where he was doing it. And it seemed I'm referencing him because honestly, my experiments with limping the button have not gone as well as I'd like. The time he would do it, what he was mostly gambling on is the big blind would not raise. Now, if you're playing cash, there's a very simple defense if someone limps the button, but most people won't do it. So on occasion, I'll have a cutoff limp on my big blind or the button limp on my big blind. And then I have to ask myself, This is the most important thought in this situation because usually the small blind limps behind. If I raise to six or seven X here, will I get the button to myself? The answer is almost always yes. And then the second question is, are they the type of person that will fold a high card on the flop? 
which is most people. Most people, if you look at analytics, most people's average full to C bet on the flop is around 50%, which also tends to be you have about high cards with the normal calling range about 50% of the time. Obviously, tighter ranges, not so much, but people's big blind flatting ranges, which is the most common flatting range, tend to miss about 50% of the time, and most people's fold is near that. So you ask yourself these questions, can I get this heads up? Is this a big, wide open range? Yes, you would prefer to be in position, but okay, if he's just going to fold the high cards, the, the whole hand is going to be pre-flop, flop anyhow. So we should be fine. And then the turn in river should be pretty easy to play, which is once he folds his high cards on the flop, he has pairs. Uh, many people fast play their two pairs, three of a kind, more than they should. So also combinatoric-wise, uh, it's much easier to make a pair than it is to make anything else. So turn in river become easier to play. They have pairs. Most likely they're not folding them. So this is why I've never been a big fan of this in uh, cash games, because there does there is a simple defense. Now, in tournaments where Mike Wasserman would apply it very well is, let's say a guy has 23x in the big blind, and he's a good player, and he knows he's actually supposed to shove that stack quite often to a 2.5x raise if he has something like ace-4 or something along those lines. Well, now you limp on the button, and the small blind limps, and he's sitting there with 24x and ace-4 offsuit, he doesn't really know what to do. And many guys at that point will not jam. It's funny, if you play like 180-man Sinko's at $2.50, they'll shove there. But as you move up, people stop shoving. And what they do is they're just giving a really good player uh, a free flop in position. And then you're pretty much screwed at that point if you're the big blind. Because if you lead out, that's going to be, that's going to strain credibility, credulity, because you probably wouldn't lead out with the hand. If you check, though, and you check call a small bet, you've most likely capped your range because with that short stack, you, you'd probably be trying to get it in with a lot of vulnerable good pairs and whatnot. So it does put the button in the driver's seat because the big blind was afraid uh, to raise preemptively now my contention the defense there is a fairly liberal donking strategy from the big blind but i'll be perfectly honest i haven't worked it's done better than me checking there with regularity but it's not a slam dunk play People will actually believe your donk bet more than they should when you lead out there, especially if you go for a sizing more than half pot, but it doesn't work extremely well. So, yes, I do believe there's times a button limp really reaps dividends. You're usually gambling on the big blind player not being able to raise and get it heads up versus your range, which most likely does not contain aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens ace-king, ace-queen, and that, that does make you very vulnerable to a c-bet bluff. 
I would gamble on most people not being able to take advantage of that. So I do think it has a lot of validity on paper. I cannot profess to have worked it out as much myself in the field. Okay. And that's all the questions we got time for this week. Alex, there is one more thing we need to mention, and it is regards the one hour coupon code for all the discounts off your store off your gumroot uh, gumroot gumroot store yeah off your gumroot <laughs> store and uh alex as if you've been listening to the recent episodes of the podcast what we did is we well alex created the one outer coupon code and you're getting discounts a minimum of 50 percent, but up to 75 percent of some of these products now we are going to stop that promo code for a while um, possibly indefinitely as we explore some other avenues with things. So now is the time, really, if you're going to be buying something of Alex's uh, or coming up and waiting. So I've actually managed to persuade Alex for all the loyal listeners to keep it going for another 10 days from today um, because we know it's near the end of the month and I know we're friends and family borrowing off of me just now that people are skint. So <laughs> it's like they're waiting, they're, paid, they're waiting on their payday coming. So I know how people that get paid monthly operate. So you, maybe some of your, you know, if we cancelled it over the weekend, you might like to take advantage of it when, you know, your wages come in or you get paid. So Alex has kindly said we were going to do 10 days, weren't we, Alex? So that is, let's take us up to... That'd be a weekend. I don't know if I'll... Do you want to do two weeks to the 7th of August? Totally fine. Yeah. You're on air. I've done it as well. So you can't say no or people just know what you really (laughs) like. So, yeah. There you go. There's another four days uh, by putting them on the spot. So let's say that the coupon code will expire Scottish midnight time uh, on the 7th of July. So that's two weeks today. That's Wednesday, the 7th of July, midnight UK time. After that, the one outer code, O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R, will not get you the discount in Alex's Gumroad store. And uh, that will be the case uh, for the foreseeable future on all of Alex's products. We might do something down the line when Alex releases something new, just for that product but in terms of like site-wide store-wide code we're going to be stopping that for a while we did always say it was you know sort of a limited time offer and it has been on for a few months and thanks so much to everyone that has taken advantage of that because it has mean i've made some money off it alex has got some sales and also you've got some crazy discounts uh for example one of alex's products is like 79 dollars or 99 dollars you're picking up for 40 or $50 to yourself. So um, it's win-win for everyone. So Alex, if you just want to let people know a bit about your Gumroad store and how they can get that discount. Yeah, if you guys want to see the Gumroad store, just go to pokerheadrush.com and there's a link that takes you right to it. You can also sign up for my newsletter to get free articles, videos, strategy guides, podcasts, every single day from me. Yeah, the way we're gonna go with this Gumroad store, essentially what happened was Barry and I did not, when we were doing the podcast, we did wanna bring it back on occasion. And 
since Barry does do so much work, in, fa in fact, the first time I talked about this, I pissed him off reminding him of one time he had to spend five hours trying to get an episode up. Mm. We were trying to get him to a, a livable wage while he was doing this. So what I did is I put the one outer coupon code on all the products, but I would put like two, you could only use it two or three times, right? So once it sold three copies of the product, it was done. And I did not advertise it anywhere because I wanted it to just be for people who were trying to keep the one outer podcast going. Now we're going to keep it going for two weeks more. And then that coupon is going away forever. And what we're going to do from that point on is, should I be having a sale of any product or should I have a new product coming out? Barry and I will meet up. We will do a one outer podcast for free. And at the end, we will give you a coupon code to use. And that will market saying, hey, I wanted to buy your product, but I wanted Barry to get 50% of it because I really want the one outer podcast to keep going. And that way, we can keep doing some more of these, right? And we'll see how many more we do. Uh, I want to keep doing it as long as I can. I, I just enjoy it. But we'll see if we can do more often or whatnot. There's essentially the business is going into a new, very exciting territory soon. So you, you might be hearing more from me uh, <laughs> coming up. So I've made so much off the commission that I'm actually taking over Alex's coaching business. And Alex, <laughs> going, <laughs> with that finance, Alex is going to then work for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's gotten to that point. No, but... Uh, no, on a serious note, every three seconds worldwide... A body dies, so we need your help here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing at the joke because it was so awful. But yeah, uh, no, I mean, uh, let without. I have one product I'm working on right now that fulfills one remaining niche that I wanted to always plug up in my catalog. I'm super excited about it. It's been kicking my ass all month because I'm essentially making a 30-minute, hour-long lecture slash episode every day, and I have to do all of the uh, Equalab and Flopzilla and Cardrunners EV and ICMizer and uh, all of that stuff on my own and all the hand histories on my own and create all the situations and then obviously all of the... Uh, graphics and writing and whatnot and it's been a lot of fun but after that i think i'm going to be shifting more into uh doing more free stuff because i'll have a lot of the paid products done that i want done and free stuff is a great way to advertise the paid stuff so you guys might be hearing more from me soon and sign up for that newsletter at pokerheadrush.com just to get free poker training every single day and you'll get to hear about my new top secret project in a couple of weeks. So without risking a spoiler, when is How to Play Jacks finally released? <laughs> <laughs> That's a way funnier joke to me than it is to anyone else because I actually get that question a lot yes. when I'm teaching. Yeah, oh God. <laughs> <laughs>
But uh, okay, anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, and just the final note: if you go to uh, the show notes, there will be details of all this for the last fourteen days left on this offer, and also on oneouter.com at the top right section, there is a section titled Alex's Store. And the details are in there as well. Um, if you're on mobile or that, and you want to just go quickly get it, um, you got 14 days left. The 7th of August, that offer ends, and it is a crazy discount. So I don't blame Alex for, uh, you know, stopping it. Everyone has been uh, taking advantage of it. Uh, minimum discount 50%, right up to 75% off some of the products in there. Um, Alex, thanks for taking the time to join us today. It's good to get another episode out for people. This will hopefully keep the world from the door in terms of when the next show's coming out. Apologies to everyone that does wait on this coming out. Um, we will keep doing it, as Alex says. It will be sporadically. We will aim for one a month, and hopefully Alex has got an exciting new product for you, and we'll get another show uh, done in the future, and we'll see you all then. Keep your questions coming in. They will be answered on the next show. Next up, if you are waiting patiently to hear if you're going to be coming up, is Callum. And it's a question about playing multi-table cash games but transitioning to tournaments and finding that total different ball game in terms of the multi-tabling aspect. So if that is you that sent that in, that will be on the next show. That's next on the, the list. Okay, Alex, that's all we got time for today. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Thanks for having us back, guys.